Hello and welcome to Tanner Talks, where we share topics of interest for our patients from physicians at Tanner Clinic. My name is Jason Hoagland, pediatrician. I will be your host for this episode. Our guest today on Tanner Talks is Dr. Tyler Dixon, who is the founder of the Westside Clinic, which joined Tanner Clinic several years ago. He is a board-certified family physician who enjoys providing care for patients of all ages, from newborns to the elderly. He focuses on preventative care, well-child care, adult care, chronic illness treatment, as well as caring for acute illness. Dr. Dixon also provides operative orthopedics and vasectomies to his patients. He is currently accepting new patients and referrals. He is passionate about music and outdoor activities, and he is fluent in Spanish. We are excited to have Dr. Tyler Dixon with us to talk about adult ADHD. So welcome, Dr. Dixon. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, tell us before we get started a bit about where you were born and raised. Plain City, Utah. Went to Weber High. Uh, just local, local guy, wife, wife's from Harrisville, uh, six kids live in Pleasant View currently. Yeah. So you are like the epitome of, of being local. So that's awesome, man. And so, and, uh, what got you over to, to Westside and to Tanner clinic, your training and everything? Yeah. So, uh, did undergrad at university of Utah down Midwestern university for medical school and then back to McKady hospital for residency. And then I uh, in a mountain for a couple of years and I went private practice for seven or eight years. And now we've been with Tanner clinic for the past three years. Well, I hope that's been a good relationship for you guys. It's been, uh, been great to have you as part of the, part of the group. For sure. So, it's been great. It's been great. Well, I was super excited to have a, a podcast about adult ADHD. I I've had a lot of my patients as kids have their parents talk about seeing that in, in themselves. So this is kind of the fastest growing segment of, of care for ADHD. So why are we seeing so many more adults being treated for ADHD now? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I feel like uh, it's, it's definitely more known. Uh, it's more talked about. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely more, I guess, in the public, in the public uh, eye, I guess you will. Um, yeah. I think we live in a fast paced, fast paced world as well. I think there's a lot of a lot of folks now with a lot of different things going on and uh, jobs that require a lot more, you know, maybe training and different things like that, that perhaps these sorts of things are coming out and they're a little bit more, uh, maybe more, more, more bothersome, I guess. Um, so it's hard to know, right? I mean, it's, I guess there's a lot of, you could debate and talk a lot about the theories of, of maybe, you know, mental illness in general, uh, ADD being, being one of those, but, uh, but I, I do have a lot of parents that that come in to me t- saying the exact same thing about, you know, their kid is currently being treated. And, you know, when I was their age, we didn't really, you know, talk to the doctors much about these things and so on and so forth. I'll hear a lot about that kind of stuff. And so, um, but, you know, there's, there's theories out there that talk about, you know, why we're noticing maybe a little bit more about it. And, um, uh, but, uh, yeah, again, I, 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 it's, it's kind of a debatable subject. I probably would say, would say, but sure. So maybe more openness, more transparency, mm-hmm. more, you know, yeah. ability to discuss it. So, okay. So, what is the, the typical patient that presents to you for ADHD? Are they, they the ones who are driving the conversation, or do you screen for it and then offer help for it? No, I definitely, uh, unlike uh, depression screening, you know, I don't just routinely screen people for ADD. So it's definitely something that patients walk in concerned about already. 
they've read something, they know someone, um, they maybe had an incl- inclination that maybe they have some type of a, a focus or attention problem. And so they usually come in, you know, asking about it. And maybe they've even taken some online, you know, screeners sometimes and they come in saying, hey, I meet a lot of these criteria. Let's talk more about it. So that's typically how the discussion begins. You mean somebody got on the internet and you had some questions from that? That's crazy. You never hear about that. So, <laughs> so what, what's the process you go through to help diagnose ADHD in adults? Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of a few things, uh, but obviously nothing can really, you know, uh, uh, you know, beat uh, just a conversation with people. Uh, there's there's definitely some key aspects that that you'll, you'll want to draw out and make sure that they are, uh, they're positive on some of these, some of these, these basic, you know, elements. I think there's, you know, some predominant things, you know, just basically difficulty in controlling their focus. Um, you know, because, you know, ironically people can be distractible and difficult to maintain their focus, but they can become hyper-focused on certain things. So, you know, when, when they call it like a, you know, focus disorder, you know, it's almost like that's maybe not a great way to term it. It's almost like maybe a difficulty in controlling their focus, uh, channeling their focus in in ways they would like to like to do it. Um, and so, you know, so inability to control their focus, um, even some hyperactivity, maybe some impulsivity, uh, things like that are probably the more, more predominance and then disorganization and, you know, feelings of, uh, you know, uh, they, they're not achieving uh, maybe in, in areas of their life that they feel like they, they could be um, as well. Um, even some relationship type type things that they, they deal with doing, dealing with, you know, unable to like remember uh, details of certain things and that sort of thing. So those are kind of the, the predominant things that, uh, that I look for. It just, it definitely has to kind of hit them in more than one area of life, um, you know, just to kind of, is it just a job that's bothering them or whatnot? They they usually struggle in multiple in multiple areas typically, um, but that, those are kind of the the initial things that we that we talk about. And I do some testing with them, and you know, in the clinic and then uh, outside the clinic. And oftentimes it's done prior to even seeing me that day, which makes it really nice. So I have a lot of data prior to going in there. Um, part of that diagnosis is really, I think, a big part of it is making sure. There isn't any other type of coexisting mental illness like severe anxiety, depression, um, bipolar depression are things that we really strongly screen for as well to make sure there's nothing else going on because that influences and and really changes up our treatment plan, the discussion we're having, maybe the order in which we treat uh, and, and, and that sort of thing. So how do you make that distinction? So you, you've got somebody that comes in and you think maybe there is some comorbidity or other problems. How would you approach that with them in terms of saying, hey, should we do the ADHD first, the anxiety first? What should they expect? Yeah. So I, you know, it's I would say it's it's actually fairly common that people will come in and and I think focus disorders are are really they're a really common thing because it it affects people so so significantly in, in like their productivity at work and what they're trying to do school and what whatever. And so oftentimes people come in and say, I think I have ADD and they do meet some of that, those criteria um, that we talked about. But uh, as you kind of weed out a little bit more and ask a few more questions about uh, depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms, um, it's really interesting how common they have either coexisting 
uh, mental illness or even a predominant one like bipolar depression, for example, which is really commonly, um, you know, something that they notice very, very keenly with bipolar depression is their inability to focus. But also someone with severe anxiety, they don't they don't focus well on things. And so they come in sometimes just, you know, noting the fact that I can't I can't focus. And so it's just, you know, a little bit more screening and, and talk about those symptoms as well to make sure that those things aren't 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 there. And if those things are clinically um, evident, um, then it definitely is important that we treat things in an, in, a, in kind of an orderly way to not make them worse and whatnot. And so. Um, so yeah, it becomes a little bit broader topic a little bit. And sometimes we're talking about things that patients weren't necessarily planning on talking about the first time they came into me and we're talking about their depression or their anxiety first. Um, oftentimes if you treat that, that primary disorder, a lot of times the focus disorders go away. And if they're still there, then we do spend some more time talking about and treating their focus disorder. Yeah. I think that's a real credit to you and helping the patients that, you're taking the time to get the right diagnosis because I always talk about having the right diagnosis to be on the right roadmap because it makes no sense to start treating something and you're on the wrong path. So you're taking that time to get the right diagnosis for them. And so um, that's awesome. And so, and once you have that diagnosis, you're taking the time, you, you're working on the right problem. What are some things you do to treat ADHD? Yeah. So I, I definitely think, you know, it starts out with uh, helping them and sometimes even their family, a significant other or, or whatnot to help them understand a little bit more about the diagnosis um, that, uh, you know, so I kind of spend a little bit of time talking about like kind of what I mentioned a little bit earlier, how it's maybe just a little bit different, difficult to control their focus. But once, once someone's treated um, it really is, is probably, probably more so almost more so than any other mental illness that I see. Um, it's such a treatable condition and people see so much, improvement. Um, it really is remarkable. In fact, if they, if they, if they don't in a fairly short period of time, I'm really questioning the diagnosis. I'm going back and looking at tests and I'm going back and asking questions. You know, now what about this? You told me this, right. And I have this marked down. Is that correct? And we're, we're just going through it just because I expect to see such improvement. It's, it's a little bit odd and I, and taken, I take it, you know, kind of take a step backwards if I don't see it. So, so I talk a little bit about that. I talk a little bit about how, you know, um, this condition can actually be an asset if learned how to control it. There's a lot of very successful people, very creative people, entrepreneurial people um, who have ADD. Uh, this drive, uh, they're they're compassionate people. They once they learn how to channel this type of uh, you know their brain in in a, in a certain way and think in a productive way a bit, um, you know, channel that focus a little bit. They can the their self-esteem raises, they, they, they are so much more successful at work. I can't tell you how many times either school or work performance. Yeah. My boss has commented about this the last few months. Hey, I got a promotion and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, it really, you do see just a tremendous amount of, of improvement. Um, uh, and so, which again, uh, can help their other comorbid conditions, you know, as well, their depression and, and whatnot. So it's a fun, it's a fun condition to treat. Um, for sure. And I think if done the right way, um, patients really stand to benefit a lot from it, for sure. It's interesting. You, you bring up the story about being successful and entrepreneurial. One of my classmates in medical school, Steve Nieleman, 
And he's been very successful in his own right. But his brother is Davey Lemon, who established JetBlue and those kinds of things. And he was speaking at Harvard Business School and talking about how he lets his his ADHD just go because he feels like he can get so much more done and ADHD. But on the flip side, I have a young man who was the class clown in school, and you have to be pretty funny to be, you know, pretty smart to be funny. And but uh, he is in trouble all the time, and we got his ADHD treated. And he's on his second engineering degree now. So it's it's hard to figure out who, who should you you know let it ride on and, and who should you you know, try and help him out, you know, where it's causing problems. And so um, absolutely. So what what are some of the medication tools that you use? Are there certain medications you like to prescribe to help out? Yeah, for sure. There's uh I the way I present it to my patients typically is I'll I'll kind of lay it out and I'll say, you know, there's there's kind of a big division, I think, in treatment of ADD is non-stimulants versus stimulants. And I spend a lot of time talking about the pros and cons of each. I usually tell them that, um, you know, it's definitely worth trying and and looking at the non-stimulants because of some of the, I think, some of the clear benefits that non-stimulants have. Um, you do have to wait just a bit longer for them to to maybe start working, for example. But once they're working, they work you know, most of the day without this kind of this, this onset and this down, uh, downtrend in the, in the afternoon and evening time, uh, talk about the controlled nature of stimulants, um, just, you know, statistically kind of how, how often patients respond to non-stimulants versus stimulants, some of the, some of the side effects to each. Um, and after I kind of lay it out like that, patients are usually got the information they need to kind of make that, make that decision for themselves. And, um, I'd say, you know, for the most part, um, nowadays we've got a few newer options with the non-stimulants that are becoming a bit more popular, but it's probably 70, 30 stimulants to non-stimulants, probably in my practice. Um, and I'm switching people all the time from one or the other and that sort of thing as well. But are there any questions you get most frequently? I think what I get most frequently is concerns about addiction or personality changes and suppressing hunger. Sometimes they want to suppress hunger and lose some weight, but um, other, other, a few common concerns that come up most often for you. Yeah, definitely the ones that you, that you just mentioned sleep issues. You'll see that as well. I think probably the most common one is how do I, you know, how do I have, you know, this, the treatment that the, the, throughout my entire day, you know, some, some of our days, I mean, they start early and they go late. And a lot of times the medications, you know, don't last more than eight, nine, 10 hours and different ways to augment and try to expand that day a little bit without creating more side effects is kind of the, the thing that people have to be kind of coached through. Um, that's probably the the duration of the day for adults, definitely. And I, I kind of help them understand that we want to try to keep, you know, especially if we're talking about stimulants, you know, the dosage, lowest effective dose, you know, keep in mind, this is a tool. It's not meant to, you know, it's not going to be a perfect tool. It's not going to end exactly when you want it to end and kind of help them get a little bit of perspective on what they're using it for and how it's supposed to work. Um, here, and, here comes in, I think, some of the benefits of the, some of the non-stimulants, of course, but but yeah, that's that's part of it is walking that line between side of benefits and risks, side effects. But I think just, you know, they're pretty known uh, out there. So there's nothing usually that we see much more than that. You know, I think you have to be a little bit cautious. There are certain medical conditions you do have to be aware of and, you know, not not suggest stimulants in certain patients, of course, and, you know, those sorts of things. But um, yeah. Yeah, perfect. So um, are there any other resources that you kind of pull in to help with your patients? Any other neuropsychologists, psychiatrists, those kinds of things? 
Uh, for sure. Like if, if definitely if we're, if I've gone, you know, a little bit down that road and, and if things aren't adding up, they're not responding to, to a medication here or there, definitely, you know, I'm referring to, to neuropsych, to psychiatry, um, you know, counseling, definitely for most mental illnesses. Um, I don't, I, I don't have a ton of counseling that I recommend for my, for my ADHD patients per se, uh, but I do encourage them to to learn more about it. I feel like the more a patient can learn about ADHD, it just, and, and, and their, and their family, those who deal with them a lot, I think it's just, it's so helpful. There's some great books out there that I usually recommend audiobooks because it's hard to, to <laughs> hard for an ADD patient to get through a book. Uh, but, uh, the more they, the more they know about it, um, I think is really, really helpful. So there's a few books that I will recommend either for parents and their kids or for just for adults or, or whatnot, but. And maybe we can include some of those later on. We'll put those in the podcast, um, text yeah. and stuff like that. And so, um, are there any other things you use for treatment besides medication, you know, in kids medication is definitely the mainstay, um, any non-medication options, those kind of things for your patients. You know, I mean, there's like most mental illnesses. I think sometimes patients, you know, feel like doctors recommend, healthy living is just like, that's what we're supposed to say. Cause we're doctors, but honestly, you know, healthy eating, uh, regular exercise, good sleep. Uh, it's in, in, in the more, in the longer I practice, uh, you know, for, for a lot of things, the more I realize just how important those things are. And I help my patients understand, like, we're not just saying those things. I promise you, if you eat, if you eat clean, if you eat better, if you exercise regularly, um, that's just has a, such an ability to help you know, kind of focus the mind, slow things down a little bit. Um, it can help a tremendous amount. So those things definitely help for sure. Um, but kind of like you said, I, I counseling, not, not much, uh, oftentimes do I, do I, do I recommend it, but counseling is never wrong <laughs> ever. Um, but I just, again, just when it's, when it's purely ADHD, that's usually not something I'm, I'm getting them into or trying really hard to get them into. Well, that's a nice segue. We, we talked about doing a, a podcast later on about healthy living and exercise and weight loss. And so that's a good a good teaser for that coming up pretty soon. So, well, any last comments or or uh, or, or last last words to your patients? You know, I if, if I you know patients who who have family members or they themselves have kind of kind of you know thrown it around and kind of thought about maybe talking to someone about their focus. You know, this is something that's well known enough. Um, definitely, getting the right diagnosis is key. But most most doctors nowadays are really quite familiar with this. Um, even if it starts with your regular doctor, then go to a specialist or whatnot. And I don't consider myself a specialist. I do do a lot of mental health, but I'm just saying I would I would just encourage patients to absolutely stop ignoring it um, because there are safe options. There there are studies out there that really do show just quality of life scores and and just so many different aspects of just paying attention and not ignoring mental health in general, but ADHD being such a, it, there's, there's a, there's a diagnosis. It's it, we, we know a lot about the physiology, what's going on. There are great treatments that work tremendously well. Um, and some of you, there's, there are a lot of folks that are like, Oh, the, the long-term deficit, you know, problems with medications and treatments. And I, and, you know, there, it's pretty, pretty clear that when you treat mental, mental health, whether it be ADHD, depression, or anxiety, I mean, the outcomes are way better. The, the medicines are very safe. You can be on them long-term if you need to be. 
Um, so yeah, I would just tell patients, encourage patients to just, you know, don't ignore it. If you want to go talk to someone about it, if you think there's might even be a chance of you having some mild ADHD, it's worth talking about it and getting it diagnosed and getting it treated. That's some good cheerleading. I still keep a little copy of the, the little certificate my young man had that when he made the honor roll the first semester after being on medication that, and, yeah, cool. uh, so yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just some, some great last words. Well, thank you, Dr. Dixon. We appreciate your, uh, your counsel yeah, on ADHD. You. We'll look forward to talking some more. So yeah, you. you bet. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Tanner Talks. We look forward to getting together again next time. We want to thank Tara Cooper and Doug Larson, who helped in the production of this podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily a Tanner Clinic. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking an actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your medical needs.